With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan. It is my pleasure to welcome you back to another Cisco Champion Unfiltered episode, a Cisco Champion Radio spinoff series that gives our champions a platform to have casual conversations around technology, career, and industry trend topics. You'll see these episodes pop up from time to time. Let us know your thoughts, and if there's a specific topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, you can reach us on Twitter at, at Cisco Champion. Today, we have a fun topic, something I'm sure each of you listening can relate to. We are discussing the craziest things found in networks, from the weirdest AP configurations to the oddest design decisions. We are going to get into the oddities and the inexplicable from networks past and present. First things first, we'll start with a round of introductions. Um, I'm going to start with GJ. Uh, when you're not coming up with great Cisco champion and filter topics, what do you do? Oh, my name is Gert-Jan de Boer, a GJ in short. I'm a CTO for that Cisco reseller uh, and a part-time networking archaeologist. Nice. Awesome. And GJ, you were the person that came up with today's topic, so so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Okay, now I'm going to go into alphabetical order. Amr, you're up next. Okay, my name is Amr Nasher, and I'm um, working as a business development manager in Cisco Partner called Tawassul, based in Saudi Arabia, which focuses more on collaboration solution from Cisco. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, amr underscore Nasher. You can also find me on the show notes. Um, uh, this is my fifth year as a Cisco champion. Oh, that's a fun fact. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Ben. My name is Ben Story. I'm a senior security network um, engineer type person. Uh, my job title seems to change by the day um, with Red Eye Network Solutions, and I am on the Twitters as NTWRK80. All right, Dan. Hi, I'm Dan Kelcher. I am a senior network engineer with Sleep Number. Uh, sleep Number is 55. Uh, second year as a Cisco champ. Uh, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. That's also a fun fact. I I I just assumed you had been around for a lot longer, based on the length I, of your beard. Right. It's <laughs> I was clean shaven. Father when I time. <laughs> it's like father time. I'm just teasing. All right, Denise. Last but definitely not least, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Hi, Denise Donahue. I'm a solutions architect for Cisco, but I've been a Cisco champion, and y'all were nice enough to let me stick around with this awesome group of humans. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Lady Networker, and Networker is spelled N E T W K R. All right. 
Very cool. All right, so we published an episode uh, a few weeks ago on Stadium Wi-Fi. So I learned that form and function are both considerations when considering AP placement. Um, But we're talking the outtakes, the real fails of networking. So during your careers, have you seen APs that were so out of the realm of common sense that it made you scratch your heads? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't? <laughs> so that's yeah. that's an occupational hazard, right? So it's when you come somewhere, you look up at the ceiling and you're searching for a piece. Yep. And the stuff you find is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Duct tape is great for APs, apparently. <laughs> yeah. You talk about looking up, uh, you know, for APs. That's exactly what I do when I'm bored in stores. I've gotten caught by my wife a few times. She go, are you looking for wireless doohickey things on the ceiling again? And I'm like, yes. Um, which, which brings me to my, my worst AP uh, placement I've ever seen. I was in a uh, retailer, a large national chain, and they had just opened this facility. So, of course, I'm looking to see, hey, what kind of cool access points do they have up on their ceiling? Only to find out that they have basically home consumer-grade routers um, wire tied to poles in the in the facility with their antennas uh, set in like every which way but the same. So you know you can tell the the engineers thought well if I put the well, engineers might be a loose term but um, you know if I put the antennas in multiple directions it'll definitely cover better. Um, the really fun part was that they decided to paint them white to make them all look better. But I could still tell that they were like multiple different vendors and different styles. It's like they went to Best Buy and bought whatever was available. And <laughs> for anybody who's thinking this was a temporary thing, I checked about a week ago. They're still there. Wow. Maybe maybe they didn't go to Best Buy. It sounds like they thrifted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when they went week, so week, uh, one week ago, so it was like, since when did you saw it the first time? Uh, first time would have been like two years ago when they opened wow. the store. Okay. Yeah, it, was, it was pre-pandemic. <laughs> I know that. So I was so I was going to just let it slide well, with then. supply chain issues. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On the other hand, what a great decision! Look at all the money they saved, and they're still working two yeah. years later. <laughs> That's true. I, I didn't interview any of the employees to find out how well they're working. <laughs> Did you connect to the guest Wi-Fi? Uh, they didn't have any, so. Oh well, th- yeah. there you go. They did. You just couldn't see it. <laughs> the thing is that you, you, they always have it. Like we always do it, even sometimes uh, with some projects um, as a temporary solution. However, I'm not sure why the peoples who's owning the building they think that I think of the IT the last minute. Like we are opening next week. We are opening next month. Okay, why didn't you think about this? You think about everything. You just missed the IT equipment. Which leads to decisions like that. And some of the ones we're going to talk about the rest of the day, too. So a couple of weeks back, I uh, I had to find uh, old IPs, uh, APs at a, at a customer where they were complaining about the, the coverage. And we're going to bring a new APs in... Uh, in a couple of weeks, but we were searching for the old AP locations. Uh, and this was a completely new building uh, where they mounted the IP somewhere and then plastered everything shut down. <laughs> so you couldn't see anything. The APs were in the wall? They were in the wall, yeah. So we found like two of them <laughs> and all the other ones. We know approximately where they are, but no clue where. <laughs> that may win the 
<laughs> the contest in it. I think you got me beat. Most of mine was like, you know, antennas 90 degrees, you know, running perpendicular to the floor instead of up and down or stuff like that. But yeah, actually burying them in walls. I think we got a winner for that one. It's like you have in-floor heating, so why not in-floor Wi-Fi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one one time I walk into a bank data center and I saw a cupboard as a rack and the switches and the routers are on the cupboard itself. Like so it was like an IKEA cupboard and, and the thing the funny thing is that one of the banks, like one of the biggest banks and they have like they don't have rack, they have only cupboard and they have the switches and routers on the cupboard itself. <laughs> uh, IKEA has a nice solution for that, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, r- rack locations are always fun, aren't they? Depends on your definition of fun. There's the one in the hospital that was in the men's room. No. <laughs> yeah, on the wall. It, the network stinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, at least, uh, you know, it was on the wall and not you know on the floor in the men's room. That would have been a little bit uh, worse, I think. I actually had a client <laughs> that uh, they had a, their MDF was in a converted bathroom. So behind this four-post rack was where the water the water shutoffs were for where the sinks used to be. So it's like you you bump this rack, it it rolls, it's on wheels. The the little feet weren't down, like it was it was free rolling. You bump that thing and it hit one of those those pipe caps. That would have been bad news. So yeah, that was the the decisions that are made in idf mdf locations can be interesting yeah so th- this is something i learned at my first job already so we we rebuilt uh the main equipment room and we got uh assigned a new space in the third floor it's like totally perfect but it used to be the storage for the uh, cleaning ladies so they <laughs> they stored all their uh the, their mops and stuff in there uh, including the the cars with water and nobody told them that it wasn't their room anymore. So when we put the servers and the switches oh. in, <laughs> we found that they still use it as a storage area. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, I had one where the data center, speaking of third floor, was on the third floor. But the third floor used to be a user floor. And so it wasn't built to hold the weight of the racks. So the racks had to be staggered around the floor. And you weren't allowed to turn off the water sprinklers, the fire sprinklers. So they all had umbrellas over them. (laughs) (laughs) Big golf umbrellas. (laughs) Water seems to be a common theme for these um, um, one-off locations. And bathrooms. Yeah, bathrooms too. (laughs) I I had one where, you know, by, by normal standards, there wouldn't have been a water problem. But when I was being taken on a tour of this facility, we got ready to go into this one particular IDF and the gentleman that was leading me around said, hold on, don't step in. Let me look in first. And he opens the door very cautiously and looks around to make sure there's no water on the floor. And so I said, okay, there's got to be a story here. So I started asking and he tells me that, well, the condensate uh, drain for the air conditioners um, dumps into this Tupperware or well, Rubbermaid container. And then the pump then pumps it up to the drain. Well, the problem is, is that when that pump goes out, no one knows and the Rubbermaid overflows. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and so he always there was takes no water look. sensor on the floor no no water sensor the... and, but the reason he always looks is because their power is even worse than the air conditioning and they have power strips on the floor that would be oh in the gosh. water so he wants to make sure no one get, gets electrocuted if, if there's a problem 
needless to say, in our assessment, we we suggested that power and uh, cooling might need to be augmented somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but you know, sometimes I'm sure that everybody there in IT knew that. But sometimes it takes an outside person coming in and saying, you know, your stuff needs to change before it, you get funding for it. Yeah, by the time I was done with that assessment, the maintenance uh, team for that particular location did not really like me too well because there was a trend. So sometimes new equipment also causes problems, right? I remember uh, when uh, inline power got introduced that the switches, they become like these huge and they needed like twice the space as the previous switches. So one time I visited a location where a customer uh, installed a new inline power switch, but it was uh, it wasn't deep enough. So they cut out a hole in the wall and and then <laughs> stuck the switch through that and then closed it off with a little wooden panel on the back. <laughs> so there was, on the other end there was this meeting room with this wooden panel sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> now does that fall under? Um hazardous racked locations or stupidest design decisions i think that comes into both oh not stupidest <laughs> most unfortunate design <laughs> decisions <laughs> we were constrained by time and budget exactly <laughs> yeah with that with this these old stories it sounds like the it becomes the the last thing that they think about i was just thinking about that <laughs> This is what happens. IT is an afterthought and temporary becomes permanent. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, and if the network down, nobody can do anything. Yeah, which we've learned this year. That's really pointed that out to us, the need for the network. Yeah, even when IT isn't an afterthought, it's an afterthought. I, I was involved with a large project building a new building, and we had specifically an architect on the firm that was, he his job was nothing but IT. So we actually, in the blueprints, there were elevations that said, this space reserved for IT, this space reserved for IT. Even in the elevation of like where where all the things could go in the ceiling, IT had a certain elevation reserved from, you know, like zero inches above the ceiling to 16 inches or whatever. So, of course, you know, we're the last ones in. All the other trades have done their work. We come in looking at for our elevation and the HVAC guys and the fire guys have run their stuff all over through our a uh, nice clean um, space where our rack is, or you know the cable racking is, and of course by law we're not allowed to put network cabling where it can touch the fire suppression system. So we had to wait until somebody got them. They had to come out and move our wire uh, ca cable trays so that they weren't intersecting with everybody else's stuff. So instead of this nice neat path. We had all sorts of roller coasters that we were taking our cables across. All right. So how about unfortunate? How about unfortunate design decisions? So that's one. How about a I've got a a few years ago, I had a client that was a a school district, and they all of their their buildings, they you know dozen buildings or so, were all connected with with layer two networks and uh, big giant flat network, and that's that's not the questionable decision yet. We're we're still coming. Oh my gosh. Uh, so giant layer two network spanning multiple buildings. Uh, it was it was 10 gig fiber between the buildings. So at least they had that going. But they were having this weird issue where every couple weeks, all of a sudden, like the entire network just went down. OK, let's see if we can figure this out. And, you know, no, no monitoring, no logging, just, hey, things things seem to have gone down. Started digging in and looking and trying to piece things together. 
And after probably two days of just searching and trying to understand, you know, connecting, building out the the skeleton of what this network was, finally found out that in one of the classrooms, in one of like the, the offshoot buildings, they had an old switch that one of the teachers had set up to, you know, here's my laptop and my printer and my whatever. That switch was becoming the spanning tree route. And every time <laughs> that the teacher would leave... They would unplug something like they'd unplug that switch and spanning tree had to reconverge and the entire network would basically drop for about two minutes while it was reconverging. Wow, that's <laughs> the kind this of thing you video. tell Chris's people face about. Is priceless. Yeah, yeah. This, it took us forever to figure because it's the switch wasn't documented anywhere. So we're going through what's this port? Where's this going? Working our way through it. It's oh, this is this is our problem. Let's set your your MDF is a. You know, set that as priority and let's let's fix this. But yeah, they had for probably years, every week or two, they'd have issues where the cable got bumped on that switch and reconvergence happened and the whole network went down. But that is a very common issue. I think about 90% of the networks I come across, they don't have any priority set. Right. For layer two stuff being what it is, the number of people that will happily skip over any form of layer two design, they're, they're too focused on layer three, the IP designs. Layer two, it's really, really easy to do, but just people don't think about it. So maybe that wasn't a design decision as it was just a design oversight or omission. That's a nice way to put it. So did you guys find, find like any flat networks? Like they don't just they put the switch and they just <laughs> install it oh, without yeah. any configurations? Oh VLAN my gosh. one for everything. Or a WAN where VLAN span the, the fiber <laughs> ring and, yeah. uh, and things go down weekly. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I had a client with three three buildings, and they had layer two connectivity between all three, so they they'd end up making loops between all three buildings, and they couldn't. They had even though they were all one VLAN, they tried to set up DHCP for each building. They couldn't figure out why this building was getting that building's <laughs> IP addresses. All sorts of issues. Again, layer two oversights. Yeah, la- layer two design. Layer two design can definitely lead to the the comment of. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these this, this more issues, you see it in particular industry, like or like education sector, like a retail sector, or more bigger sectors. Is this specific based on, or you can find it anywhere? Anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. There, there's an airport that I know that's um, all layer two. <laughs> 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 With spanning VLANs around. Yeah. I'll, I'll admit that um, my, my layer two horror stories are part, part of the reason why when you know, we started seeing the fabrics and we're just going to put you know these giant layer two overlays, so to speak, over layer three. I'm thinking, what, what we're going backwards. Why are we doing this? Uh, <laughs> you know, and had had to dig in and read to understand. Okay, now there's there's protections against all the crap that we've been dealing with for the last twenty years. <laughs> if done right with proper planning, always have to plan. <laughs> proper planning. That's. Seems to be one of the threads that's missing in all of our stories so far. So speaking of planning, what what's the oldest piece of equipment that you found on an active network that you've had to you know either work with, replace, or alert them that it even existed? Do Unix admins count? <laughs> I, I guess I I just say that that one switch that was underneath the the teacher's desk that I think was probably one of the oldest you know just rinky dink things that that I've come across, but. 
Yeah, there's there always seems to be that one firewall that somebody forgot about or that one device that was sitting out there for forever and ever. I have. Yeah, I have one um, that during the pandemic customer called and said, hey, we have this firewall that's falling over. We've got to replace it because of, you know, change in, in pattern. Like, OK, well, what is it? Oh, it's it's a PIX. <laughs> as soon as well, you said firewall i was like please say pigs please say no, pigs. Yeah, pigs absolutely <laughs> they couldn't replace it because they were a 24 7 operation and it was their main internet firewall and so and it didn't it's it didn't die until you know it had to do a whole bunch of stuff i'm googling pics over here can you explain oh, okay. what that is <laughs> it's 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 short for pixie no <laughs> Um, it's a it's a really old firewall. It's like a from the nineties to the to twenty two thousand. It went completely end of life in twenty thirteen, and I know this because I have a customer that I am convincing to get rid of their pixels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and it's still working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if it still works, it's like those access points. <laughs> and a yeah. little, little bit of Cisco trivia: it Pix actually stood for Private Internet Exchange. I never knew that. That's way better than adaptive security appliance. <laughs> <laughs> so that that shows like how quality is Cisco devices. Like you can see it like for very long time, ten years, twenty years, and still working. Yeah, like sixty five hundred switches. Oh gosh, those those things will still be alive when I retire. I have say I still have several customers running sixty five hundreds and still happy with them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a lot. I know service provider who still have 6,500 and the CPU utilization 99% and he don't want to exchange it. <laughs> <laughs> they just run. Wow. Log into some of those and they've got like seven, eight, nine years of uptime and just don't touch it. Don't reboot it. Don't look at it. It's still running. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure if I uh, if I remember right, that my last job right before I left, I checked the uptimes on our 6,500s and I think it was close to 12 years at that point. So it could be as close. It could be close to thirteen now. Which means you've never upgraded it. Uh, no, they would never give us uh, upgrade windows on those puppies. So it's still running just... an engineering special release. Uh, thankfully not, yeah. but <laughs> close. Cat OS one code. So with this all issues uh, and this all problem that you saw, what do you think the main reason is? It like a budget issue? Is it like a knowledge issue? What do you think is the main problem that caused all these issues? All of the above. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's everyone is going to be a little bit different, but usually, so I, to me, I think one of the big things is usually timing. Just, I mean, we touched on that a few times. Hey, I've got to have this done by this date. I mean, even right now, when you look at the the supply chain that we're we're dealing with today, I've got situations where, hey, to get what I need to get the right wireless controller or whatever, it's going to be four months out. How do I get something to get this facility up in the next couple of weeks to get this, you know, solve whatever problem. And it's, we put in essentially short-term solutions to get, to get businesses operating. And the, we, we always go into it with the intent that I'm going to come back and I will fix this later. And I, I mean, I'm sure that we've all got stories of that short term. I'm going to put this in today. And as soon as I get the budget, as soon as I get the, the maintenance window, whatever, I'll get this fixed. And five years later, that same temporary solution is still in place. And then the problem with it is that it's the most uh, important thing for a business, right? Like the whole business is running on top of it. So you can't take it down. I've, I've actually got situations where firewalls were deployed 
And when the firewall was deployed, they needed to get something up and running. So they put in a permit IP any any statement just to get it running. And then, you know, it was six, eight months, a year after before people went back and were like, hey, we need to fix this. But now we have no idea what traffic has been going through it, what it's been used for. We've got to start doing all of the traffic analysis to make sure that we could put in the proper rules and and document what it is. And now what could have been, you know, maybe taking a day to get the right questions answered initially is going to take me a week of digging, if not more, to get the rules in. And if I make a mistake, I'm, you know, creating a a P1 incident because some critical application isn't communicating. Yeah, so sometimes I really wonder, you know, as, as engineers, we, we have a tendency that when the customer is saying we need this yesterday, we go, okay, what what fix can I come up with that makes it work? And we'll come back and fix it. We always say we're going to come back and fix it. But we know in the back of our mind that this temporary solution is going to become permanent. And, and one of the things that my team, we, we've always talked about is, is it better to patch something with a Band-Aid or is it better to break a few eggs so that you can make a nice omelet? Because a lot of times you know, you're like, oh, we can't take this down. We can't take this down. But then six months later, a year later, 18 months later, it goes down, it goes down, it goes down. And you just keep patching the patch because you don't want to have more downtime. So you cause downtime to save downtime. I've worded it when I've had these conversations with management where all we're doing is we're just shifting that that maintenance window. Sure, I'm not taking it now, but this is going to come back and it's going to bite us. And, you know, two years down the line, when you try to peel off that Band-Aid and the six Band-Aids that are on top of it, we're going to create more problems. There's going to be stuff that we didn't didn't expect when we try to solve this problem in the future. So we're, we're creating, all we're doing is we're, you know, putting time bombs in place that are going to hurt us in the future by not addressing it properly today. Yeah, especially when you're doing something like uh, implementing a uh, permit IP any any to get <laughs> something running. It's like when a new project goes live, it will still hit that same IP any any and nobody knows about it. Right. And that's it's yeah, like it, a it, snowball. It's interesting doing reviews of firewall policies and whatnot, how many times come across that in a customer site and you're like, oh boy. And then you start having to have the conversations of, well, why was this put in? What you know, do we even know? Was that person still employed or even? And if not, okay, now now we have to figure out, like you said, all the po- you have to do your analysis and figure out what rules should be in there. And then then of course you know you're breaking things one by one and fixing them and breaking them again and fixing them, you know, because everybody loves firewalls, right? Well, and you run into this. Hey, I'm looking at the traffic. Even if you do traffic analysis, this is what I see. How do you know that that's valid traffic and not something that shouldn't be running? You're just creating rules to allow what's running today without actually going back through and making sure that it's a a valid and justified data flow. So it's you're you're creating your that short-term fix is going to bite you six times over trying to fix it. So how do you prevent that? How do you how do you prevent the uh, the recently the one I saw with a, a slash sixteen on a point to point. One of my colleagues was telling us showing it to us. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> You know, things like that. How do you, or, or how do you go back and, and fix it after it's, after the fact? I wish I knew. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's there's so many of these where, I, to me, a lot of it comes down to time. Uh, when people are doing things, it's, you're doing the, it becomes kind of its own self-fulfilling prophecy. You're working quickly, I think Ben mentioned, to get things done. You know, you need to get this done for the business. Business is like, hey, things are working. You try to go back and say, hey, I need to add bodies so that I can I can get projects done and get them done properly. 
But the the response is, well, projects are getting done as is. There's there's no actual justification. We don't see a need for it. Uh, and I, unfortunately, I think one of the things that really, I think Ben was kind of getting to this was sometimes the we do as engineers we do a very good job shielding businesses from the pain of some of those bad choices but we're we're creating more headache in the future it's like bad parenting right right <laughs> like, right you you take a shortcut today it's you're going to feel it later and i i think we're we look at it we're in a service industry we are we are here to support businesses but I think we do, like I said, we do too good of a job shielding them from the impacts of those poor decisions. As hard as it is, I think part of it is we need to do a better job of just saying, no, we doing this is going to create problems. It's going to be more work in the future. We just, I, most IT people want to do, they want to get something working. They see the value of getting something working. So they, they push to get it done, even if it's not the best idea. Yeah, so that's what, one of the things that, uh, I'm known uh, for with my customers. I tend to say no a lot, <laughs> uh, and in uh, in customer reviews, we get back that that one that's one of the things they like about us. We say no, and we help them to try and make the best decision. But still, there are business constraints that force you sometimes to put something there that shouldn't be there. DJ, it sounds like you need to teach a master class on how to say no. And get positive feedback after the fact. <laughs> People aren't <laughs> complaining about your nose. Well, I think uh, the key is saying no, but then having the solution and having the the plan as opposed to just saying no. Uh, I, I know a lot of IT guys really like to say no, but they, they just say, no, I can't do it that way. We're not going to do it that way. And then they don't offer the way to make the business whole because when it boils down to at the end, the business pays our salaries, whether it be the business directly or business paying our you know, our company for, for our services. If the business isn't working, then it doesn't matter how great our network is. So, you know, we have to make that compromise sometimes, but we also have to be able to explain why we're asking for this. Yeah. And uh, showing that you're able to reduce the number of outages that they had in the past, that helps a lot too. In the uh, consulting world, I think it's also usually a little easier to say no than it is as internal IT. As a consultant, sure. when you say no, it's your... I mean, realistically, when you say no, you're you're getting paid for doing things. So when you're like, hey, no, this is a bad idea. Sometimes it's going to give a company pause to go, hey, the, the company that collects money by doing this, they're telling me, no, that's that has some weight. Whereas internal IT, the business has a lot more push on just get it done. We need this. We need it to work. Go do it. And yeah, there's you don't have the weight as a consult or as an internal that a consultant does. Yeah, I, I I know working in the internal world in the past, you know, it was amazing how many times I would have to just have one of my consultants say something so that it would uh, get done. Because you know we could say it until we were blue in the face, but then the magical consultant comes in and says it, and poof, it happens. <laughs> Amber, you were trying to say something, I think. No, sometimes sometimes the consultant like I faced that with my role many times when you start you come especially with you when you go to special companies or very big enterprise companies or banks or something like that and you start explaining that you have a problem and this said it says okay no we don't have a problem we we knows everything we <laughs> we everything is fine with us so and then when the problem happens okay and you hear about it everywhere you tell them okay i told you about this since like six months ago or one year back and you didn't believe me it was like <laughs> okay <laughs> so this this things happens two times for me for 
two banks actually actually that's that's the issues mm. yeah it's good to have an email with that in it with that point huh? <laughs> well do you see people doing design reviews or configuration reviews or is it usually just one person who kind of independently is doing <laughs> Dan is nodding <laughs> to the one person thing <laughs> yeah I, I mean I've seen a lot of situations where there is kind of the the one person that's that's in isolation doing things and especially when you deal with organizations where you might have a only one or a small number of of architects and then you've got kind of a larger group of engineers a lot of times you'll see architects in in some situations doing things in isolation and then handing it over to the engineering team. And if there's not clear communication as things are moving, the engineering team and the operations team, they they have a better kind of finger on the pulse of the environment and, it, and what's going on. And if you're not building that feedback loop to the architecture team, they're, they're, the architecture team is designing. Th- we I ran into an issue years ago with a, a big BGP thing where our the architecture team had this brilliant idea it made it to the engineering layer to, to implement. They're like, this doesn't work. They completely redesigned it. But now it the the engineers, their redesign didn't pass the security requirements that were put out at the start of the project. So then when it got to operations, we're looking at it going, wait, this is this is this is all sorts of problematic. Now we've got to go back and redesign it because the those three tiers weren't communicating with each other. They they each did their own and it was it was a absolute nightmare to go try and re redesign bgp in a global production network so what one of the things we do is uh we use automation to do our reviews for us so uh, first of all most of our deployments are templated so we get uh repeated uh repeatedly the same results um uh, but what we do is uh like daily or uh, bi-daily checks uh, for example, are these VLANs present on all of the switches, the compare configurations, stuff like that, to get this constant feedback loop and see if uh, the configuration still meets the requirements. So it seems like it's a global issue. We ha- we are in this call. We are like I'm from the Middle East, and they have JJ from Europe, and you guys from US, and the problems like everywhere, <laughs> in <Yeah>. each region. <laughs> Yeah, but it's a human problem, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a little concerning to think that I'm a customer of some of these enterprises. Uh, and I'm almost positive. So I don't know if you guys, I, I brought this up in other conversations, but I recently tried to set up an account on a on an app, a shopping app. Um, that night, my Facebook account was taken over because I used, I don't know what it's called, but you use your Facebook account to set up a, another account very easily. There's a word for it. My Facebook account was taken over. And it took me months. It's not stupid. It's the word is not stupid. Nope, it's uh, unfortunate. It, yeah, <laughs> it was very unfortunate. It took me months um, to get my account back. But I'm pretty sure it's one of those situations where they didn't really think about the security of their application, uh, and I had to suffer for it. But. My husband was very proud of me because usually I delegate all technical issues to him. I was able to figure this out on my own. Took me a couple months, but finally I got my account back. And then I set up the, um, the uh, what is it called? The third party uh, authentication. Two-factor authentication. The two-factor authentication, which I highly recommend. I When we first started using that here at Cisco, I was like, oh, another step. Now I see the value. There is value to it. <laughs> and just just for anybody listening, don't use Facebook. 
as you're logging into any, to anything, anything. I, I thought that sentence was going to stop right there. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, I, I think this brings us to, to you know, you know, best practices and, and advice, and you know, it's not just for the corporate world, but you know, you're you're advising your friends, your family, whatnot, and. On Facebook, I, I'm probably that guy to a lot of people that every time they post, I've been hacked. Don't don't accept the, fa- the my first thing is I, I drop a link to how to enable two factor authentication, and you know it's you know if you need help, call me. You know, but you know it's like just do it. And you know, and you know, I I think in IT we failed people too in that we have stuck to our guns with the stupid password restrictions from the the NIST guidelines from the original. Now NIST has changed their tune. But no one in IT has changed it. We're still requiring the complex Uber passwords. Just require a long password. It doesn't have to be complex. We don't have to change it every 15 uh, days or whatever uh, silly thing that some security guy came up with anymore. Just have two-factor authentication attached to it or multi-factor, however you want to call it. You know, and, you know, I guess best practices change and we, and we as IT need to understand that. It's the one piece of advice that I can give is working in the consulting world. One of the big things that I would always try and stick with was just working with best practices. When you look at a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today, people doing short-term solutions, when you come into an environment where those those short-term solutions were done, usually they're not documented and trying to understand them is it's painful. Exactly. Uh, so when you're looking at this and you're working through this, if you're trying to go through and figure these things out, it just it slows things down. The more that you can follow standard practices, the easier it is for other people to come in, the easier it is for, hey, I need I need help on a project. I need to bring in a, a vendor or whatever, whatever it might be. You're adding somebody to the, t- to the team the easier it is to get them up to speed. The more stuff that's not documented, that's one-offs and all that. I mean, even automation, the more the more standardized your environment, the easier it is to start bringing in these tools. So that, you know, standardize, follow best practices and and try to avoid the band-aids and one-offs as much as possible. Yeah, see how far you can get with that. I mean, yeah, yeah. Best practices, it's hard to sometimes find out what the best practice is. Well, in that regard, the Cisco validated designs, they're really great. Nice plug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they never say use public IP addressing on internal devices. Oh, you mean like 1.1.1.1? Uh, yeah, well, no, not that. <laughs> but like you got, like at universities sometimes have huge chunks of IP addresses and I've and some government agencies or quasi government agencies are run into that that you know have used internal IP addressing. I do have one more that I cannot resist telling you about. Can I do this? This doesn't fall under any of our categories. Um okay. So there was this company there um stress there was a Nexus seven thousand. They well they wanted to stress test it test it. So they thought they would make it overheat first, and then they'd wrap. So they wrapped it in shrink wrap while they were <laughs> while it was running to make it overheat, <laughs> and this, it did. <laughs> and then they thought, okay, what else could possibly happen? Catastrophic failure, fan could fail. So the guy jammed a screwdriver into the spinning fan trap. Well, at least they can put it in the bathroom because now it's now it's waterproof with the shrink wrap. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Even in the even in the data center where they have the water uh, the <laughs> sprinkler thing system and not chemical. <laughs> Why did they think this was a good idea? Because they have smartnet. 
Not anymore. <laughs> it was stress test tested. Any any last words of wisdom, best practices that you guys want to share? Document, document, document. Mm-hmm. And not yeah, and not only what you did, but why? Like why you put that permit any any at the end of that access list that has all the denies there. I mean, there could be a reason for it, you know? I, I've always said there's always a method to the madness. Working in IT, it's always madness. But somebody, whoever did it, they had a method for it. You just need to figure out the method. Yeah, I, I always say try to add uh, a ticket number to every firewall rule you add. So there's a paper trail. A ticket number? Yeah. Yeah, like like when you put, you put, the, you put your ticket into the system saying, you know, I'm making these changes and, and why put that ticket number into the firewall uh, so it's self-documenting. Oh my gosh, that's a great idea. It, it takes like no effort and uh, it, you already have to do all that administrative work to handle the service request. So just reference the number. Amar, can you beat that one? <laughs> but I try to put the passwords with like like access uh, many level passwords and you have it like different with different team. So you don't have the situation where you have some employees goes out and he takes all the password and he locks the the full network for you and he don't want to give you all the passwords unless you pay him something <laughs> and that's that's we has, faced it also as well has that happened before yes oh yeah a lot <laughs> you know everybody's saying yeah and amy's like looking so stunned I was that say, someone what, would do this <laughs> wasn't the poster boy for that in, in the bay area even if i remember right yeah, there was just something a couple couple of years ago where that was a big deal. Yeah, because yeah. like the the network guy was put in jail and they were holding him, trying to get him to give the password up. Yeah, and he was like, "Not well, I'm still in jail." <laughs> is, that, is that like old school ransomware? Because I just learned about that too. <laughs> I, I guess you can say that. Yeah, I mean, you're you're holding a company's data or, or tools ransom. Yeah. So I. Maybe the where part isn't quite there because there's no software to it, but it's definitely ransom. <laughs> well, sometimes the simplest solution is the best. Well, uh, personally, I face that is a situation with companies who don't treat their employees well. So the employee goes out and he takes everything with him. <laughs> Still, I would think you'd have some personal dignity, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's a stretch for some people. There's, there's, when you look at the population of the planet, you're definitely going to find a couple people that are, are more than willing to follow that petty revenge. All right. Well, there you have it. Another Cisco Champion Unfiltered episode on the books. Uh, I appreciate you listening in today. And thank you to our champions for being a part of today's episode. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform. So wherever you're listening to us, hit that subscribe button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.